0: Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 145. So we have switched to a new podcast hosting service. Let us know by emailing us, tweeting us at Macrofab, or letting Stephen and I know in the Slack channel if there's any delivery problems. There shouldn't be. The redirects are working.
1: Yeah, and the Slack channel is continuously growing. We get new people all the time on that. In fact, I think we had someone just crop up today and say, hey... How's it going? Yeah. So it's uh, it's been a couple of weeks since uh, we've been able to you know give an update on our projects because we know everyone is so interested in hearing about <laughs> <laughs> our personal projects. No, actually I was I was a little bit bummed because I've been I've been trying to be on the ball with finishing projects, and then I, I finished projects and then we like stacked a bunch of guests all of it on all in a row. I was like, okay, well, I guess we're not talking about some completion of projects and stuff, but <laughs> but today we get to, um, and in fact, uh, yeah, I've got a bit of a chunky one today in terms of what I've got done. So the last time we spoke about these projects, I was working on the Vox in a Box, which is, uh, as a recap, it's, it's basically a tube guitar amplifier that's all in a pedal enclosure. So a lot smaller the main purpose of this was to not have like bulky transformers and not have to have it plugged directly into the wall. Um, and kind of, and kind of protect yourself from the voltages and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And and we call it a Vox in a box because we chose the Vox AC 30, which is a classic guitar amplifier. We wanted to replicate that, but put it in a much more complex or not complex, um, small enclosure. And so by doing that, it, it, we are required to effectively make switch mode power supplies for the high voltage rails and the heaters and all of that stuff. And so I think the last time we talked, I was right in the middle of building it or or I had received parts. I just hadn't actually assembled it.
0: Yeah, I think you had just gotten parts.
1: Right. So uh, since then, I have actually built the entire thing up. Um, I actually milled a small enclosure at work and got everything all you know, done up nicely because it is high voltage. Normally, normally with a project like this, I would build it just as like a, the raw board that I could test on a table. But since it's high voltage, I wanted to make sure that it was safe from the get go. So I started with like a milled enclosure while I was building the boards so I could have it all nice. No, no USPS boxes with grease stains on it. No, no, not this time around. <laughs> that one actually has, uh, that one's, that one was lower voltage, but a lot more current. Oh yeah, a lot more power. <laughs> yeah, this this one is, excuse me, 60 watts max. And that one was 5,000, I think. Yeah, 5,000 watts. Something like that. <laughs> uh, so um, I'm happy to say that I've got everything assembled and the Vox in a Box is working like a champ. Everything is actually fired up very nicely the first time we turned it on, which was, which was a fun adventure because we were just like, who, who knows if this is all going to work out. The only way you find out is you just kind of power it up. And um, everything, everything fired up. The amplifier came on, no issues. The high voltage supply, which is the one I was, you know, really scared of that, that fired up. And I, I love when this happens, the high voltage supply fired up and was exactly where I calculated it to be. It was right at the right voltage. Oh, like spot on, like absolutely spot on. And I've got a little trim pot that allows you to select the voltage. And I calculated that trim pot to adjust the voltage between 230 volts and 350 volts. And I swept the entire range and it goes from 234 volts to 350 on the nose. So I'm like, okay, great. And the the actual, like the, the, absolute value of that power supply is not critical it's just really nice when you do a calculation and then test it in the real world and you're like pretty close very on yeah Yeah. it's nice and you might even be within like tolerance of that potentiometer oh probably yeah because that's probably not a great potentiometer it is it's one of those 25 turn you know the little top guys Okay. Um and and so those those are nice. You can get theoretically infinite accuracy, right? We're, <laughs> sure. we're laughing about that because I actually found a, a data sheet that had that written on there on a potentiometer once. Yeah, we talked about that on like episode four of the podcast. I think I think that was a really early <laughs> one, but it's been a running joke with, with Parker and I. Yeah. So so yeah, the, the the high voltage uh fires up great and the Vox AC thirty runs at a three hundred and twenty volt. Uh, power supply. So that's plenty enough. I had range to be able to set it in there. And um, I actually milled a little tiny hole in the top of my enclosure where the potentiometer head sticks out so I can adjust the voltage on the fly. I like how you said you milled out a hole instead of just like boring
0: or drilling it.
1: Well, I mean, I think the technical word is mill. I, that's well, It was on a mill. Yeah, it was on a mill and I did a milling operation on it. I guess I could have just chucked up a bit, but... A uh, I, I drill bit and drilled it out, but uh, whatever. So the, 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 that that mill. No, was I, no I like nice how you
0: had that distinction there.
1: <laughs> it has a certain. It's, it has some gravitas to it, right?
0: It does. It's different than I just drilled a hole in it. <laughs> yeah, because you could do that by
1: hand. Or yeah, by hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, and one of the, actually, I could have done the whole box by hand. One of the reasons why I chucked it up on the mill and spent the time to program it. In fact, not only did I spend time programming it, I I cut three faces on a box, which, and I and I made two boxes, one for myself and one for the other guy who's helping me with this. So that's six separate program runs and six separate zeroing operations. Ooh. So it's not like, it's not a five minute job when you're going to do something like this, especially because I, I didn't jig it up or anything like that. I, I chucked it in the vise and I used a, um, a wiggler to find zero on uh-huh. all, the, uh, all the faces and stuff. So I think I went in on a Saturday and spent like an hour and a half, two hours or something like that. But the whole reason why I chose the mill for this is because um, the way I designed this board is the, the board is suspended inside the enclosure with hex standoffs, but I milled a slot in one of the faces of the enclosure such that the PCB sticks out of the slot. And right where it sticks out, I put a whole bunch of terminal blocks. So you can just wire directly into the terminal blocks. So those terminal blocks are the only area where high voltage is exposed. And really Mm -hmm. only one terminal block has high voltage on it. And I did the, um, it's a four layer board. So I actually routed the high voltage on one of the inner layers out to the... Oh, uh, so you can't... So, like, if the solder
0: mask got scratched...
1: Yeah. ...it's not going to conduct to the case? Well, except for the fact that the terminal block is a through-hole pin, so there's still pins underneath that stick-out. Oh, yeah, but I'm saying it's like, your
0: case can't get conducted.
1: That's right, the case can't. Uh, and that was the big thing. I didn't want it to have a chance of arcing from the PCB, you know, to the case where it's coming out of that slot.
0: You know, I wonder what... This is a bit of a tangent. What is the voltage isolation of that layer of fr4 like what what
1: is fr4's dielectric breakdown
0: yeah like what 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 voltage do you need to break basically like in your case like if you had a ground plane in that 400 volts uh or how much voltage would you need for that trace to just drill a hole right through that fr4 and, <laughs> drill
1: and well and spark over so fr4 is very likely a lot higher than air to break down and air is a uh, hundred volts per thousandth of an inch. I believe that's the standard. It's probably different. It's probably higher where I'm at, where the air is dry and, and you know, thin mm-hmm. and it's probably a lot less where it's thick and wet where you are. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I think the average is a hundred volts per mill and, and, and a mill is a thousandth of an inch. <laughs>
0: So I looked up um, FR4 voltage breakdown, and there is a uh, just a like a EEWeb.com thing that says a uh, voltage breakdown of three kilovolts will not break down twenty mils of FR4 between the planes.
1: So you're probably completely fine then. <laughs> yeah, because because what would happen is it would have to from in the inner plane, it would have to break to the top of the board, and then it would have to arc across air. Yes. So it, a few thousand volts. Yeah. it would would likely do it but yeah, you'd probably. have way bigger problems before, yes <laughs> you know before that happens. so so yeah no that that ain't gonna happen regardless i I, I still did it to the internal plane because I'm just trying to not get shocked by it as much as possible. No
0: no I, I think that's the best way to do it
1: on the back side of those terminal blocks I haven't done this yet but I want to just run a bead of like hot glue some snot yeah some hot snot across there i haven't bumped it or anything like that but there there's the the opportunity it's still it's live let's just put it it's, that way
0: yeah it's 400 volt ac right uh or dc, DC. yeah dc, DC that's which right, that's dc right. hurts like hell uh well, well yeah because you you can't let go <laughs> yeah
1: it doesn't jiggle you it, it just, no it doesn't jiggle it you. just keeps going it yeah
0: man, it hurts pretty bad yeah it just makes all your mu- muscles lock up <laughs> Whereas AC will kind of just, like, throw you. Mm -hmm.
1: uh, The thing that's crazy about AC is you can feel the frequency when you get hit. No, it jiggles. Yeah, it jiggles.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It kind of makes that noise, yeah, yeah. In your brain, though. No one else can hear it, but it's in your brain. In your brain. (laughs) Everyone else just hears you
1: screaming. (laughs) No, you're just going... (laughs) Uh, yeah, we've we've been shocked enough. Okay, so yeah, okay, so back to back to the project. Um, got everything got everything built up. Got everything tested in terms of without a load. Um, the heater, which is a switching buck converter that switches from mm-hmm. eighteen volts down to twelve point six volts DC for the heaters. Because you can, with the tubes that I'm using, you can run them 6.3 volt DC or 6.3 volt AC. Same with DC, Mm -hmm. twelve. but I'm sorry, same with 12.6. You can do AC or DC just depending on how you wire up the pins. I prefer to do 12.6 if possible because then you have less current Mm -hmm. draw and less current means uh, less chance of noise bleeding over from, you know, switching or AC or whatnot. So I did the 12.6 volt and that was... A TI webbench just like special? Special. Just give me every part and I will do it exactly the way you tell me to. And These exact part numbers. Yeah, and it just <laughs> works. I love that. I love that. Uh, and 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 honestly, a, a buck converter like that is really not that hard to design nowadays when you just look at a data sheet. It usually just says, just do this and it works. Yeah. But but I went even further and had TI I had TI intelligence. Just tell they me. They
0: optimize the ESR, the capacitors, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And so uh, there's 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 not really any issues with that. It holds 12.6 volts, um, even with the full load of three tubes on there, which that is 450 milliamp continuous draw on 12.6. Okay. The uh, the funny thing is though, I'll jump into one issue. I kind of have a few issues that cropped up. Maybe maybe this isn't an issue, but it sort of is in a way. I, one thing I didn't take into account is that the load draw from a heater on a tube is not consistent, and it's well. It, it, I'm sorry, I apologize. It's very consistent, but it's not consistent when it is cold, when it hasn't been turned on. It's like a filament in a light bulb. Yeah, where, it, it ramps down. That's right. It what well, has it has very little impedance when you first turn it on. So Mm -hmm. 450 milliamps is the draw at steady state from this switch mode power supply. But when you first turn it on, it is a lot more than it's almost
0: like, it's almost like a short.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like a short. And, And so what's funny is I have an led on the output of the, um, 12.6 volt and I I put an LED on the output of all the power supplies just to see if any like if it's off then I know there's a problem yeah it's just a binary on off thing so when you first turn on the thing if the tubes are all hooked up that LED is very dim and you could like you could see that it's struggling to turn on
0: yeah that that switch mode is like 100% duty oh that yeah
1: that switch mode is just hammering the tubes as much as possible and then what's funny is like they reach this certain point where the switch mode like finally is able to latch onto it and connect. And then the led turns on everything kind of like latches into a nice state and the tubes slowly heat up. So for like two seconds, when you first turn it on, it's just basically giving it 18 volts.
0: (laughs) Now I got a question. Have you tried running audio through it when it's in that two second warm warm-up
1: state? I've got some things about that. So yes and no. Um, okay. The, okay, so w- in fact, we'll touch on that with the next section. Um, okay. Regardless, the the heating of the tubes all works fine. What I might do, I'm not sure if I if I'm really if I really know what the full impact of what that is. I'm not even sure if that's necessarily detrimental to the tubes to you know hit them hard at the beginning. It probably is in some way, so I may add a slow start circuit that goes in between the switch mode and the tubes. That basically, just for that initial startup, it kind of just leaks through some voltage,
0: like a MOSFET and a giant resistor,
1: basically. Yeah, yeah, basically until until they pull the right amount of current, then that that circle will just switch off.
0: Yeah, then the MOSFET opens up and allows full current through. Yeah,
1: that's right. That's or, right. Yeah, and that's probably a really cheap an easy way of fixing that. Um, I was thinking of other solutions. An inductor could potentially do some work, but it would, excuse me, it'd have to be huge. So that's yeah. not necessarily the best way of doing it. So I'm I'm thinking, yeah, just like a, a slow start circuit that turns off. Yeah,
0: I, th- I think you could do a, what you could do there is like a two watt SMD resistor in, in series, right, with your heaters. And yeah. then in parallel to that resistor, put a MOSFET, And its gate is tied to a voltage cutoff or something. Right. So when the voltage hits that certain level, it opens up the MOSFET and allows full current to go through.
1: Yeah, basically basically a circuit that would limit the current to, Mm -hmm. you know, you pick something. If I know that my steady state is 450 with, I don't know, let's say 20% tolerance on that, have it set for like 550 milliamps, and it'll only let 550 milliamps through, and then once it drops beneath 550 who cares you know that's just the there's, tubes working the way they there's should
0: there's actually some parts i've used that are called e fuses that ti makes yeah and they have um current current uh, active current limiters in it and that could work too
1: yeah i do i guess do they just burn everything away as heat <laughs>
0: um i think they work with i think they have built in like mosfet like analog it's like an analog thing.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that might work. I, yeah. I,
0: I've used them on pinball controllers for slow starts, and they seem to work fine. They're not the cheapest things, though, and you would have to redesign your board.
1: Well, I'm going to have to redesign the board anyway. This is this was just a test bed thing. Um, I, the, the, the next goal is to kind of combine everything into one box because everything I'm describing right now that's inside of my little test box right now is the power supply and the power amp. But not the preamp. I built the preamp separately.
0: Guess what? Maxim makes a part for you. Uh oh. Max twenty three one three is a half amp to six amp adjustable current limit switch. Huh. Use that part. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, just slap it in. Yeah,
0: yeah, just slap it in. And it's got a ten micro or milliohm on resistance once on. Oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. Oh, right. it might only. It might not work at the voltage you need, but there's parts out there, it looks like. Yeah, uh,
1: there's there's probably plenty of solutions to this issue. I don't even, like I said, I don't even know really how much of an issue this is. But um, I'll, I'll talk about something that, that creeps up with this in terms of like a startup thing. So, so let's go on to the next section. There's the power amp, which I've discussed before. This was actually, funny enough, the easiest part of everything
0: and this was like the, what we thought might be the hardest because we we both have never designed this kind of amplifier before.
1: Exactly. Yeah, so I used a TPA 3116 Class D amplifier from Texas Instrument. And this little chip by itself can control two 30-watt channels without a heatsink, or it can do one 50-watt channel without a heatsink. And if you add a heatsink, you can do two fifty-watt channels or one one hundred-watt channel by itself with a little heatsink. And actually, what's <laughs> kind of cool about it is the heatsink is just a part that you can buy right off of Mauser. It's designed like for this. For this, yeah, it's pretty cool. And and this this uh, this amplifier has its thermal pad on the top of the chip, so you can actually
0: sink through, or so you don't have to sink through the um oh, to the what? board. Yeah, but you don't have to sink to, through the um, encapsulation material. Yep,
1: yep. You you basically it's like a flip die. Uh, it's like the bottom of the die right there. So cool. you you could you can put thermal paste on it and drop your heat sink right on top of the chip. It's kind of neat that way. And and I actually, funny enough, I screwed it up. I wasn't. I I guess I just didn't notice that it was on the top of the chip, so I designed a thermal pad underneath the chip, and then I got the chip and I was like, oh, it's on the top.
0: (laughs) That makes makes a lot of
1: sense. (laughs) So it's sitting on top of a pad, like an exposed pad right now, but whatever. That's fine. I don't care. (laughs) I went through a lot of trouble to make that, like that pad, that pad, and like did like via stitching and everything, (laughs) and it's not doing anything. (laughs) whatever you know the, the it may be doing something I don't know but uh, yeah no so the, the the thermal pads on the top so the coolest thing is that chip it, their their app notes are pretty good for for ti their data sheets really good and it's it's pretty they hold your hand pretty hard in that data sheet where it's just like yeah, yeah, yeah. do this and it works and here's part numbers and make sure you bypass the power supply this way. And, you know, the only thing that I might complain about, not that I need to complain about anything, but their 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 layout example is a little bit how you doing and could use a little bit of maybe a little bit of help because their layout example is like their evaluation board. It's not no, like that's how they usually are. Yeah. Though, so. Yeah. But, but uh, it, I don't know. Regardless, it, it all worked out. I basically followed that with a little bit of my own touches in there. Like how I was delivering power into that subsection of the circuit mm-hmm. is different than the way they did it because they're just using these giant banana jacks that plug into their board. So obviously we have to do it differently, but the idea of like having multiple ground planes and a ton of via stitching. I mean, I had a via every half uh, 50,000, either every fifty thousands or Something every like 100,000. Yeah. yeah. They're everywhere. And, um, you know, great. It works. And the very first time I turned it on, like, I mean, I just plugged a speaker into it and plugged, I plugged my computer directly into that chip effectively. I mean, the only thing that's in between that computer and that chip is just a capacitor. And it just fired up like no issues whatsoever. And, and I took it, like I, I pretty much immediately took it to 30 Watts and it was just, <laughs> <laughs> and it just gave it to me. So i like, okay, cool, great. This is, this. And, and what's funny is is almost immediately afterwards, I was like, well, if you can give me 30 Watts, then you can probably give me 60. So for like a short period of time, right? Well, yeah, pretty much. And, and so I, I, gra- I grabbed the second speaker and I just plugged it in parallel. So I went from eight ohms to four ohms and, still just cranked the volume to the same level and it gave it, you know, it just spit it out. Uh, so that was, that was pretty, it's pretty happy when you, when you just turn something on and it just works, you know, yeah. it's like the, it's like the Apple thing, but when you do it, it just works. It just works all the time. But, um, I, I have done some tests uh, where I've, well, I shouldn't say some tests. I've done a lot more than some tests. I've for the past couple weeks, this thing has pretty much been going nonstop at my desk, just playing music at all volumes at all kinds of. It's just you know,
0: playing meatloaf constantly. Love at the dash- yeah, love it, dude. Lo- I have it? not um, played
1: meatloaf on it yet. I need love to- at, Love by the lights of the dashboard. Is that how that? <laughs> something like that. Uh, no, I haven't played any. I, the loaf has not been uh, coming through the, through the speakers yet. I, tomorrow will have to be a loaf day. I've been doing a lot of. Pink, Pink by Pink Floyd the
0: dashboard lights, that's it. yeah that's
1: it. Yeah. Parker and I used to listen to a lot of meatloaf. <laughs> we got in trouble for listening to too much meat. Loaf. Too much meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I really, what my goal has been is like, can I brutalize this thing? Can I? Will it just put up with my crappy music nonstop? Everything. Yeah, yeah. eight hours a day, every day, pumping music at all volumes, and it's it's just. It's taking it. I'm, I had a buddy of mine, actually. He he was placing a Mauser order the other day, and he bought me a um, an 8-ohm resistor that's a 50-watt 8-ohm resistor, and I'm just going to juice the whole thing, like just yeah. max volume, have it sweep from like 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz up and down all day and just hammer it. Didn't you used to have one of those? I do, but it's in a storage facility somewhere. Ah.
0: Somewhere. It's an Area 51. <laughs> That's right. The t- top men are looking
1: at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shh. <laughs> you, now we put on our tinfoil hats. Oh yeah. They're listening. So yeah. Uh, so I, I, I'm going to have this thing just dump into the load. But but regardless, like I mean, it's been working for weeks. I, I think
0: they're just sick of your music now. Probably. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you you can only play meatloaf if it's into a purely resistive load. Yeah, barely resists the load. <laughs> okay, so uh one of the things that with the power amp that I I thought of because this is going to this this board or this little box I made is was going to or is interfacing with a tube preamp, I had the thought that if you turn on the amp right away and that 18 volts that comes into the box just flips the amp on but the 300 volt power supply hasn't turned on and the heaters haven't heat up. And so there's a fairly high likelihood of a giant pop that goes down the, the circuit. And I wanted to avoid that. So what I did was I added a mute circuit into it that it was, it's basically just a comparator with a charging capacitor circuit. And I put a resistor divider on one side of the comparator. So once it charges past a certain limit, then it, flips on or it flips off the mute effectively so it holds it's
0: a a one-shot comparator
1: yeah yeah it holds the the class d amplifier in mute mode basically and i set that for about five to ten seconds it's a wide
0: range of doubt
1: uh it's a charging capacitor so it just it depends mean, on temperature <laughs> well uh, yeah it depends on, well it, 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 according to our our friend that we talked to the other week it would depend on practically everything everything <laughs> yeah. yes yeah. so in fact it probably would de- it probably depends on the voltage itself as it's charging right the phase of the
0: moon and sun oh yeah yeah no all the planets if, are aligned if, if is in retro or
1: prograde <laughs> That's, that's right. <laughs> uh, so so yeah, that's why, yeah, that's why it has a huge range. It just needs to hold it off so that it doesn't pop. And that totally works. Cool. Uh, another thing that I added into the board, I actually haven't tried this yet, but with that TPA 3116 amplifier, there's multiple pins on it. There's three pins that if you select there, it's like a binary code. If you select if they're shorted to ground or not, then you can change its switching frequency that Hmm. it spits out. And so I'm having it run at its lowest speed right now, which is 400 kilohertz. It can, you can select things all the way up to 1.2 megahertz. Uh, You know, I think a lot of that has to do with if you're running it in conjunction with other switchers and other things, you can kind of fine tune where it sits in the band
0: bandwidth yeah
1: yeah and i mean we're talking about guitar here i just it's not critical and so i haven't even tried the other frequencies but maybe i will i don't know i think it would be really hard to tell a difference
0: yeah if, you know. if, if one of our listeners knows about class d amplifiers and their are it there is was it the sampling frequency or is it just that's the out that's the output pwm switcher Switching okay, frequency so the output if they if you know why you have this option to change the frequency let us know
1: yeah yeah uh, yeah come on the uh switch uh, the switch channel the slack channel and come and and tell us yeah I I would love to know and and tell me what I should run it at <laughs> I mean it's running fine right now so I'm probably not going to change it so, I, so
0: my question about the tubes powering up was mm-hmm. not related to the mute circuits. I'm assuming that's where you were going with that. Well, okay, so this
1: is actually, so when the, when the heater, okay, I actually did run this thing without the mute thing active. And if your heaters are dead cold and you turn it on and the amp fires up, which it fires up in, Almost instantaneously. Yeah, yeah. But those heaters are drawing tons of current, and mm-hmm. that that buck converter is just hammering itself stupid. Then you get this awful sound that comes out of the speakers. It leaks through because what's basically happening is the eighteen volts that comes in is just going wacko. And yeah. everyone's reference to that. So it, the mute basically prevents that from leaking through to the speakers.
0: Yeah but is it that uh, I'm what I'm saying is are you trying to play audio through it at that point?
1: If uh, if you do you won't hear anything. Interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cuz that might be the sound people are looking for. <laughs> yeah, just starvation sound. Starve starve your electronics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh no, that's I can tell you that's not the sound that people are looking for. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so so I mean, that sound is pretty awful when the buck converter is trying to, it's trying for everything it possibly can to heat those tubes up for the first couple seconds. And so that's why the five to 10 second thing was chosen just to get past that point. Mm-hmm. And then after that, the the, the tubes actually... They're not at their full temperature yet. They still have some time to heat up. So the volume, even if you have the volume cranked on the thing, the, uh, it it slowly opens up. You can kind of hear the envelope as it opens up. So if you, this is another tangent
0: on tubes because I don't know yeah a lot about tubes too much. So if you cool the tubes down, that closes that envelope down. Uh, so it's. So if you're running them, so let's like let's say you dump your box and box into liquid nitrogen, <laughs> and it, and, it, and it somehow it doesn't just immediately shatter the tubes, right? So yeah, it's yeah, yeah. But at like sub arctic temp- temperatures, how does that <laughs> actually affect the sound? Uh,
1: the, the the tubes run more efficiently when they're cool, as do most everything. But, but, you would just break the glass. That's all that would happen. Uh, so so so, okay, the the short tangent on the way tubes work. The heater itself is a piece of metal that's coated yeah. with some stuff. I, I don't know the composition, but it's coated with some stuff that aids in what's called thermionic emission. So once you get that stuff hot enough, electrons legitimately boil off of, off of it, yeah, they yeah, bounce it. off of it and you create what's called an electron cloud. Where it's literally just electrons floating in free space. It's a vacuum. Go figure, vacuum tube. There's just electrons floating in there, and we learned back in you know high school physics that if you put electrons in an electric field, they move. They move so yeah. depending on how you control that voltage, you can control how the electron beam, which is just uh, so boiled electrons, flow. Basically,
0: off. if you had a, if you just cooled it down, it
1: would just stop.
0: It would just stop working because there's no electrons moving.
1: Yeah, okay. right. There's no electron cloud inside of it. Exactly. And and the thing is, there's a lot of thermal mass in that heater. So it would be very difficult to get it to sit in a spot where it's not fully on or not fully off because you'd overshoot or undershoot a lot. You know, mm-hmm. that'd be, that would be a really hard PID loop to program if you... You ask me, yeah, and yeah. and it would be very different for every tube because that turn on curve is very different. But the turn on mm-hmm. spot where they're fully on is not very different. It's just how each one turns on is how well, each one ramps into exactly, it. exactly. So okay, cool, yeah, big tangent there. Hey, i something new. There
0: we go.
1: Uh, so I guess I guess one of the other things is that that high voltage power supply that was. That whole design was based off of a TI app note that I found or a, a reference design actually.
0: Yeah, it was a reference design that was like cobbled together and that
1: was like I love it. I love it because mine looks so much more professional than his does. It's like so much more <laughs> it's actually on the TI website too oh yeah no it, it was very clearly cobbled together and built by hand and it does not look up to TI standards and when I first saw that I was like yes I have to build this because it's, <laughs> it's so great the best so thing about great. that too is you go because they have it listed there's a part number for it Yeah, but you can't buy it <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. No, and and actually, you cannot find that board layout, probably because there isn't one. There isn't know, one, yeah. Because, like, it's literally a dude with a soldering iron who just slapped it together. was an intern. Yeah, uh, you know, probably. You know, if, if anyone actually knows, I would love to hear the story behind that because, you know, kudos to whoever did that. If, if you were an intern who worked at TI and slapped this thing together, like, way to go. That's awesome, dude. Super now cool. Now, it's going to be some, like, like
0: 60-year-old gray beard vet a TI. Hey, way to go on you too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, the cool thing is what uh, so what this what this whole thing is is just a regular uh a boost converter where they added on the output a capacitor diode ladder, a voltage multiplier ladder. So so if if we know we have 300 volts or 350 volts on the output, and this ladder is specifically a seven-stage ladder, you divide the 350 by seven, and uh, you end up getting 50 volts, and you get, or yeah, around 50 volts. Um, you get so So the actual switcher is just trying to switch on 50 volts, but it just gets multiplied seven times and then brought back in a feedback loop. So it's a pretty cool way of getting higher voltages um, from a lower voltage, and from a just a regular switching controller, um, that was one of the biggest deals with this design. Is I did not want to do like a transformer flyback, blah blah mm-hmm. blah. Those are really efficient and they're really great, and you can get high currents out of them. But uh, I didn't want to. Those, those
0: transformers are not small.
1: No, they're not small. They don't they don't fit in a small box, and it's not like they're never an off-the-shelf thing. You have to get someone to wind you a transformer or buy some E cores and start you know, winding coils yourself. And I just didn't want to deal with that. So this runs off of just a small surface mount inductor and a capacitor diode ladder. And the thing is, it, it only has a maximum output capacity of 10 milliamps, but that's plenty for what I'm going for. I need voltage, I don't need current uh, out of this power supply. So works out fine. In fact, I think my total draw is like 6.8 to 8 milliamps. So I'm not even maxing it out. Which mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, it, maybe I, I might be if I'm really hammering a hot signal into it, but I haven't done a whole lot of testing because it's just, it's been giving me everything. So I'm cool with that. Um, one of the things that I learned though, with this kind of design, so those capacitor diode Designs, since they're not phenomenal at delivering current, they can droop in certain situations. Most of the time, not during like steady state run. If you, you know, if it's already locked into a voltage and you ask for like a step in current, it usually handles that well. It's the startup that really confuses those things because basically it has a really, really Crazy ratio on its feedback. You know, you have a really high resistance and a really small mm-hmm. resistance in your feedback voltage divider. So the the circuit tries to freak out in the initially to get that voltage up, such that it can latch onto its feedback voltage yeah, feedback loop. Right, and so it kind of freaks out. And the thing that I learned is if you have too much capacitance on the output of this, it since that's such a low load or a uh, not low. I apologize. Since that's a really heavy load. In other words, it's demanding a lot of current to charge those caps. The, uh, it detects that as a, like a, like a fault mode and it won't ever charge the caps. And the funny thing is in these, in these kind of more vintage tube designs, they have pretty hefty caps on the power supply rail. The thing is those caps are there to basically regulate the load. I don't need that because I actually have a regulated power supply. This switcher you have act, is, you have, that's active. Yeah, right? it, it is regulated. So I, I thought about that for a second. I was like, Oh yeah. And I just desoldered all the caps on the power supply and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was totally fine. Um, and, and there's no, like you can't hear that. And usually if you get rid of those caps, you get terrible frequency response issues. Not in this case. And it just like, as soon as I desoldered those caps and turned it on, it locked onto 320 volts, like, immediately that's so it's like okay well great i in other words i don't have to have bulky expensive caps in my design i can just rely on the switcher to do it so 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 right now i'm running that entire preamp on one microfarad um worth of output capacitance just to get rid of some extra noise and yeah, normally these these preamps will run on you know 100 or 200 uh microfarads or something like that Nah, don't need it that was that's a nice thing to find out
0: Oh yeah, because you have a active
1: controller looking at the voltage and regulating it. Right, so. right, right. So I I'm cool with that. So and then uh, let me let me touch on the the layout real quick. Just kind of kind of close the loop on everything. So the layout is just a I used a small little four layer board. One of the one of the main things I was really shooting for is kind of like flexibility, because this is a tester and prototype. I wanted to be able to try a bunch of different things. So I made a bunch of different sub circuits. So like the switchers, the two switchers are each independent of each other. They both have independent, you know, ground returns. They both have independent power. It's not like I did not use power planes or anything like that. I sent them all power individually. The whole class D amplifier has its own section of the board. It's set apart from everything else. It also has its own ground return path. So I also star grounded all of them together at one of the mounting studs. So everything connects together at one point and I gave eight different connections that all run a wire to that star point. So if I wanted to test, hey, what is, you know, what is the noise when I have this part of this circuit connected to the star or what if I have this connected to the high voltage ground section, I can just plug in wires differently. And um, what I've actually found out that's kind of nice is the thing is really quiet. I mean, really, really quiet. Uh, so I haven't really good had to, routing. It it is yeah. It turned out to be really good routing. Even with the fact that I built the preamp separate from this box, it's pretty much dead silent. Mm-hmm. Now I get a ton of noise through the speakers, but that's because my guitar's not uh, quiet. Uh, it's, it's it's picking up a lot of noise. But it's you know yeah. as soon as you I if if you unplug the guitar and just crank every knob on this thing, there's barely even a hiss. Out of the amp, so basically all the routing and the and the the soldering and wiring and everything is was done pretty well. So it's pretty dang quiet. As soon as you plug a guitar into it, you hear the kind of sound stuff. So and a lot of that has to do with the fact that right now I have my guitar plugged into it through alligator clips, not through like
0: (laughs) shielded cables or anything like that. Not a quarter inch jack. Yeah.
1: So I mean, I already knew this. But I've I've just proven it for the umpteenth time. Uh, alligator clips do not prevent noise from leaking into your
0: system. Into your system,
1: yeah. <laughs> They're really, really noisy. You will pick up 60 hertz, minimal. Well, and then, you know what's funny? This thing doesn't have 60 hertz running through it. So I just get a whole bunch of high-frequency hash going through it. Oh, it's all okay. like switcher noise that's leaking out of the box, you know? So it's all that just like real high, just like kind of sound. Mm-hmm. So. That's, that's all that. So um, I gave, I put a schematic up in the Slack channel a while back. I'll throw another schematic up here that's a little bit more of the finalized, I should say, uh, image. And uh, I, I think I also put up some layout stuff, which I'll, I'll put in the Slack channel again. And you can find all this information on the uh, show notes. That, that uh, I guess that's MacFab.com slash podcast and go to episode 145, and you can find all the information on this. Slash blog slash podcast. Oh, I apologize. Did you guys change that? It used to be slash podcast, right? Oh, maybe that works. I Let me try. Yeah, let's find out. Hey. Learning new things every day. If not, I can make it that. So that's <laughs> not a hard thing to do. Well, okay, so yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, that works, by the way. Okay. It does redirect to blog podcast.
1: I thought it it worked. Yeah. Okay. So macrofag.com slash podcast, or if you want to type more, slash blog slash podcast. And um, so, yeah, that was was a bunch of fun. I'm glad that's working. So going forward, what I'm going to do is take the whole preamp that I built, which I didn't mention it, but I built an entire preamp on a hunk of aluminum that was A scrap piece of aluminum lying around. I just drilled a bunch of holes, put some tube sockets, and put some potentiometers in there. See, now that sounds shoddy because you use drill. I apologize. I actually did program that and mill that. (laughs) See, now that sounds more fancy and artisan. You okay? So, so okay. I found uh, not found. We had some scrap aluminum lying around that was a blemish from. A previous mistake that had been made, but the but the piece was good. I wasn't just going to throw it away. So I milled tube socket holes. I milled uh, potentiometer holes. But we have um, drill mills at work that have a a ninety degree tip on the end of it, and I plunged those into the aluminum halfway through the through the aluminum. And so I v scored the aluminum and then bent the aluminum on those v scores and made like a little. I don't know, like Boxed. a little chassis, basically. Yeah. And uh, it holds the tubes up and has a little spot for the potentiometers. It's just a cute little design I did. I wanted something so I could just easily wire up the, the AC30 preamp, which, you know, I'll post a, an image of the AC30 preamp, well, you know, the, the schematic and what I've built. It's not a lot of magic. There's not a whole lot going on there. So, you know, look at the schematic. You can take a look at it. There's a lot more interesting in the the power in the, box, and in the, box. the box in a box part yeah so so the, the next phase of this project what i want to do is take all of what i've done and compress it onto one maybe two boards and put all of it inside of one box and make like more of a product i guess you could say more of a in a box thing yeah fully in a box that's that's yeah. the new one Vox fully in a box yeah <laughs> <laughs> So I'm happy with it. Right. Vox in system. Ooh, V-I-S? VIS.
0: That comes from last week's podcast, or the Vox chip.
1: in package, right?
0: Yeah, Vox in package. Ooh.
1: <laughs> well, and and actually, so one of the things it, w- it
0: would be a Vox pack if you, you you put the enclosure together right and just like squirted like potting material. So then it's just, oh, it's, just
1: urethane to the the hell out of yeah, it.
0: Yeah, then it
1: is one thing, right? Yeah, I guess so. I guess you have you have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not going to do that. No, I've I've had bad nightmares with urethanes in the past. I don't like using them if I can avoid it. So, uh, but the, but you know the thing is because I've got this the Vox in the box is it doesn't matter what preamp goes into it. I've, I'm actually going to build some other preamps and put it into it and see what it's like because the preamp I have right now, the Vox AC30, is very very treble heavy uh, so mm-hmm. it's really bright super bright and it was originally designed to go into a not as bright power amp but now i have i'm putting it into like a very modern switcher class d amplifier that is totally fine with producing all the high Anything frequencies you give it. Yeah, yeah. All of the high frequencies and it does it very, very well. And, and so you could, I, cause I have tone controls on it. I can dial out the highs, but I, you really, really have to dial out the highs to get it to not be so sharp. So I, you know, I need to adjust some things on that, but it, it is what it is. That's tone shaping is if, if your circuit works to the point where the way you fix it is by shaping the tone, you're like 90% of the way there. Like Mm -hmm. everything's working. It just doesn't sound how you want it to. Okay. That's just swapping caps in and out and things like that. And that's, I like that. That's fun. It's fun stuff. So I'm happy that that is where we are currently at.
0: Cool. Yep. So we'll have pictures and all that stuff up on uh, the MacFab blog, Twitter. Uh, Steven has a new Twitter account. I guess it's not new anymore, but at analog eng. Yeah. Yeah, eng. That's right. Yeah. So
1: and um you got something here about Fusion 360. So yeah, just a just a quick also side note cuz I've done a lot in the in the past few weeks when we've had guests and I'm just like I've done a lot there's going to be a lot to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we we got the I've talked about Fusion 360 a couple times in the past but we we actually purchased Uh, a license for Fusion 360 at work. And we're now using it for a lot of our CAD work and actually almost all the milling that I've talked about, I've done through Fusion 360 because they have a whole cam package that goes in there, but in an attempt to get up to speed with Fusion 360, because frankly, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the guy at work that uses that the most. Um, I, I've kind of set forth a little bit of a project for fun in Fusion 360 where I'm actually, in 3d design designing an entire guitar amp like the whole thing i want every single part i want everything to be dimensionally accurate i want it all to assemble are
0: you going to do the resistors with the little tiny curly legs like the j
1: legs no 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 no. i'm well i i I do want to model the resistors because i want the resistors i want you to actually see it on the boards so so actually so i got dip trace to i designed a board a preamp and I'm, i'm used dip trace to export a um step file of the board so mm-hmm. i have it kind of sucks it's cool but it also kind of sucks when with dip trace it's export of step files it'll export the board and it will export all the holes in the board but it won't export anything that's on the board so you just get this green rectangle so you don't, so you don't get the traces or the silk screen or anything like that Ah, which you know that's
0: it's not the end of the world but because i've done some rendering that takes gerber's and turns those into like step files, yeah, or or whatever, and um, and then you can extrude out like the layers of copper and solder mask and stuff, yeah. And so you get this kind of like three dimensional looking board. It's kind of cool,
1: uh, you know. And and I might do something of that sort. As of right now, I'm fine with just a step file. I'm fine with it just looking like a green rectangle, uh, mm-hmm. because I because ever all the dimensions are right. And, and that's I'm, what
0: matters, really.
1: And yeah, and I'm modeling the capacitors and the resistors and all that stuff that I can plug into the board. You don't necessarily need to see the traces. It just kind of looks cool. So regardless, I've I've already exported that board and I've installed potentiometers and jacks and switches and things. And what's cool is, you know, I already have a chassis modeled up that I, I think we may have talked about the chassis previously. It's just one I bought off of Mauser, But it's it's really nice to be able to see like, okay, if I place my board in this location and I slide my pots and my switches here and there, then I can, you know, they, they pop out of the chassis at this point and you can really fine tune exactly where every component goes and see what it's gonna look like. So it's been a lot of fun getting up to speed with 360. And frankly, it's really easy to use once you get past like the nuances it's it's Fusion three hundred and sixty is kind of particular in the way that it likes things to be. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of like Fusion three hundred and sixty. It, it makes you do everything, and I'm using quotes because you can't see here. But it makes you do everything <laughs> properly. You know, like yeah. there's a proper way to do it and a non proper way to do it, and Fusion three hundred and sixty mean- is like you're going to do it the proper way. And that's the only way I'm going to let you do it that, you know, Mm -hmm. and then that's okay. I'm fine with that. It's just, sometimes it's really, sometimes the button clicks and the, you know, you have to click enter and do these things at times when you're just like, I wish I could just like Google Sketchup doesn't make me do this, you know, (laughs) 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 but, but I get why, like a lot, it's actually in, in a lot of ways it's like Eagle where, you know, In order to do something you have to be very explicit you're like i'm clicking this and i'm telling it to do this and i'm telling it to go here and then i'm acknowledging that it's there you know it has that kind of feel to it yeah it does it it doesn't make me as pissed off as eagle so i'm cool with (laughs) it and and then the last note is that um this next revision of the vox in a box i'm actually going to model it up because um, I want to see where the tubes are actually going to fit inside the box. Because I want to uh, mill. Hey, I'm going to mill again. I'm going to mill some windows so you can see the tubes inside the box.
0: That's all what's about, right? Seeing the tubes. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think when we get when we finally get to do the wagon radio project, yeah, is we have to have like tubes on it.
1: You know, I have but a whole see- bunch of old tubes that just don't work. We should just like install like 20 oh, install of, the of them, in, like, and, like 20 and, of them. And just, ins- yeah. And just heat the heaters up. <laughs> or, or don't even do that. Or just have them in it. You know, like that's it. Just they're there, they're there, right? <laughs> they're just, each one adds that much more wank factor. Wank factor to it. Yeah.
0: that's of a, such a wide dash. You could put like 40 tubes in there.
1: Yeah. And, and, it, you know, it's really funny if you, if you talk to, uh, especially guitarists, this is very, very much in the guitar realm. The It's, it's so goofy, but the, the number of tubes that are in your amp is like, wow. It's like a wow factor thing. It'll be like, wow. you know, I say, Hey, your Marshall, it's got three preamp tubes, right? Well, my, my Marshall's got four. So, uh, yeah, it's it's better so it's better yeah like it's just i mean and and that fourth one could do a function that you literally never ever ever use but it's yeah. got four so damn it, got four. it's so got it's definitely four. better <laughs> it's definitely better definitely yeah no it's it's fun yeah so that's that- that's all my updates we'll have to do a parker special
0: yeah when we finally not have we have guests next week and the week after that, and then I think we're free.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe you can talk for an hour about a Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no one wants to hear that. <laughs> hey, um, hey, we, we found out in the Slack channel that cows are more aerodynamic than Jeeps.
0: Exactly, yes. <laughs> now, they're not, and cows are tastier.
1: Cows are tastier, yeah. Yes. And cows are cheaper than a Jeep. Maybe. maybe, maybe actually, maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe on that one.
0: <laughs> um, okay, so, so onto the RFO. RFO. We only but- have we have one RFO this week, yep. and it is a shout out to Chris Gamble. He uh, gave a talk at this. Uh, I, actually, I could say this week's SuperCon Hackaday SuperCon because <laughs> it happened last weekend. Right. Um, it was about uh, improving your circuit toolbox. And it's a bunch of little tiny circuit designs that he has that uh, that every electrical engineer should know about. And just so you can just be like, oh, yeah, I know how to do that and just grab like this comparator circuit or this indicator style LED and stuff like that. Um, so there's a video up on his blog and go watch it.
1: Those, I love that kind of stuff. That's so great. And I really wish there was a class in college where it was just like this. If it was circuit toolbox, you know, for like a senior one.
0: level design, that's like, this is just stuff that gets used a lot.
1: And it would, and, and, and I would love that. I, I mean, it would make so much more sense if, you know, you still did all the really in-depth analysis of the circuit that you had to do for everything else. Oh, yeah. yeah but yeah. at the same time, like it, the, the the whole point is like, yes, do the, do the in-depth analysis, but there's a good chance you're going to use this. You know, yes. If, if if someone just told me that, <laughs> I would be like, "Oh, great! This I would love to do the analysis. This would be fun." As yeah, opposed yeah. to just like, "Why am I doing this?" Yeah, yeah. Um, And on the side note, is all the
0: SuperCon videos are online now, so go check. I've been watching them because I didn't get to go, and I'm like, "This is pretty, pretty, pretty awesome." Oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to try to go next year.
1: MacroFab was a sponsor there, right?
0: Yes, we were. Yeah,
1: the, you guys were I saw a lan- we did the badges. I saw yeah. a lanyard with the MacFab logo on it.
0: Yeah, we we helped uh hackaday out on building
1: the badges. Sweet. Yeah, so I, it would it would be fun to make our way out there some year. Yeah, maybe next year. We'll see. We had an opportunity to potentially put in a uh, proposal for a talk there, but we kind of let that, oh, I, I, let that I one pass. I sent the proposal
0: and that I did not get accepted.
1: <laughs> <laughs> did not get accepted, as in, like, did they just not tell you or did they say, like, we're oh, so? No, they
0: sent me an email saying, um, you know, thanks for sending it in, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, but, you know, there were more interesting talks because I was going to talk about design for manufacturability. And, like, I'm looking at all the other talks. I'm like, all these talks are so much
1: more interesting than that. <laughs> Well, I, I think the design for manufacturability is a great talk. It's very practical. Uh, yeah, I, I love talking about that kind of stuff. So, so that
0: was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Doman. And Stephen Craig.
1: See you later, guys. Take it easy. See, I didn't forget the outro that time. Cheers.
0: Thank you. Yes, you are a listener for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project engineering topic or uh, circuit toolbox that you want us to look at, uh, tweet us at MacFab or email us at podcast at MacFab Also, check out our Slack channel. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. That way you get the latest episode right when it releases. And please review us wherever you listen as it helps
1: the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us.